how's it going folks? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending explain, we're looking at Fresh, where the horrors of modern dating are seen through the eyes of a young woman who is battling to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetites. A lot of times with direct-to-streaming movies, they just kind of come out of nowhere with no real fanfare, and that was the case with Fresh. So I was pleasantly surprised that it turned out to be a solid blend of a romantic comedy and cannibalistic horror film that is really elevated by excellent performances from our co-leads Daisy Edgar Jones and the Winter Soldier himself, Sebastian Stan. We learn more about each respectively as the story develops, and it involves into an interesting parallel between the two. While the plot itself overall is pretty straightforward, there are many interesting little aspects hinted at on the periphery of the story that actually add a lot to the universe being created here. This is especially true in regards to the bigger organization hinted at that Steve works for. We don't really get more than a few clues as to what any of that is all about. It's all those kinds of little details and questions that we'll be delving into in this video. So let's check out Fresh, breaking down the story, in particular our complex lead character's relationship, looking deeper into the evil organization behind things, as well as explaining the abrupt ending that leaves us with many lingering questions about what comes next. We're thrust into the mostly lonely experience of dating in the modern age via the longtime single Noah. She flips through a dating app mindlessly and gets a message. She sighs in exasperation before she can even respond. Of course, at some point after chatting comes meeting in person, and her date this time has already made a bad impression, reminding her to bring some cash. Her best friend Molly suggests to just blow him off, but she's already at the restaurant and hungry, so why not give it a shot, right? Of course, the guy is even more off-putting than imagined, even his big silly scarf before he even utters a word. The enchanting conversation is mostly just him rambling about his love of hot sauce, despite it giving him acid reflux. She attempts to give him attention, humoring him with a scoff and, well that sucks, and expands the topics to other kinds of spices. Ooh, really stepping it up there. Though he really only digs his grave further, bringing up how women in the old days used to care more about how they dressed and looked, pointing out she would look great in a dress. <laughs> yeah, thanks dude. She's done after that comment, and the guy even has the nerve to take her leftovers and reminds her once more about throwing in her fair share. He concludes the experience with some casual racism, implying that the waitress doesn't understand what he's saying when he orders some bubbly water. Wow, what a charmer, huh? Despite his overall ickiness and there being no connection here whatsoever, he's still down for a second date, calling her cute. Showing his true nature, when she gently lets him down they're not a match, he turns things immediately into that he was only humoring her and she isn't even his type. He calls her a stuck-up bitch and stomps off in a little tantrum. Yeah, this dude just straight up sucks, which I'm sure is the whole point. She expresses her frustrations with Molly, not even knowing why she dates people. She laments about always ending up alone, but ultimately she's okay with it. Molly builds her up that she doesn't need a man. The real problem is that they've been raised by the fantasy romance of Disney movies, declaring, fuck the beast, I'm the beast. He later makes another match, but it's not exactly promising either. When asking about his dog, he immediately spins the conversation into his sexual nature, leading right into the always dreaded unsolicited dick pic. A bear fridge sends her to the mostly empty store, where she has a chance encounter, showing her fantasy might be coming true after all. Disney did it lie, I knew it. Amongst the produce, a handsome stranger asks if she's ever had a certain kind of grapes, claiming they taste just like cotton candy, despite what others in his family say. He gets her to try one, and wow, it's just like he said. Science, he beams. He tries to pick up wine that does not go very well, and decides to cut his losses after it crashes and burns. But he can't help himself, and turns back to ask for her number. Not that he'll actually text her, he says, even though he really wants to. There's an immediate spark between them that 
that she shares with Molly, but the most surprising thing to her is that she actually met someone in the real world, really thinking that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, probably not, at least nowhere near as much as it used to. He does text after all to her delight and they meet up for drinks. The conversation flows easily and he proves to be as charming as she suspected. They cover all the basic questions like his working as a plastic surgeon. As for Noah, she has no real family it turns out, no siblings, her dad died a while back, and she doesn't even speak with her mother. He says he can relate, having lost his dad when he was a kid, them laughing at having dead parents in common. Oh, hilarious. Although it looks like so far Steve really is at fantasy come to sweep her off her feet, but it's already troubling to learn that she has no real family, meaning there's no one to come looking for her, you know? It's odd too when she asks for his social media accounts and he has no presence online whatsoever, scoffing there's nothing smart on Twitter anyway. Can't help but agree with that. He changes the conversation to a different game. Tell me something you don't want me to know. Noah lays out bare her true hatred towards the whole process of dating and every annoying detail that goes into it. She believes that it's foolish to try to find happiness through someone else and reiterates that she's actually pretty good at being alone. Regardless, she decides to lean into the experience along with her own friend's advice to screw it, giving him a kiss. Back at her place, he tries to pump the brakes to her surprise. And again, it's her that makes the first move, obviously swept up in the moment. In the morning, she snaps a photo while he sleeps and wakes him up with little kisses, things all still cute and flirty. And don't you just love showers and movies? Just rubbing your hands on your neck, no soap or nothing. Just rub it clean. <sighs> she fills in Molly on them sleeping together and she is growing a bit worried about how things are progressing. In particular, when learning that he doesn't have any social media, a red flag for sure, obviously because he's trying to maintain a low profile. They meet up for dinner and find out that he doesn't eat animals, but says he doesn't have a problem with it either. She moans that he's ruined her favorite thing ever, her precious short ribs, and Steve changes the subject, wondering if she's mentioned him to anyone else. Molly, of course, she reveals, and she says that she's sure that they would get along. He coerces her into dancing together, looking like a real connection is actually growing here. They're pretty cute together. He seizes the opportunity, suggesting out of the blue for them to go away together. She seems maybe hesitant for a moment, but proclaims her newest catchphrase, fuck it. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to mean within reason, not gallivanting to unknown locations with a practical stranger. I think the intention here is that Noah really does truly believe this is all real. The whole Disney fantasy thing again come to life, and she's especially drawn to it because of her years of being alone. Molly is taken aback by the news, but tries to be a good friend, telling her that she's excited. It's her straight girl fantasy come true. Although things are already suspicious when he shows up late and tells them that they'll have to leave in the morning thanks to bad traffic. So it's off to his place for the night. In the car, he spills the surprise that they're going to Cottage Grove. And troublingly, when she tries to text Molly, sees she has no service. But don't worry, Steve assures her the signal is better at his place. His house looks impressive from the entrance and is of course remote as hell. There are no neighbors or anybody else in sight. At this point, it really is kind of like, girl, what are you doing? But well, she's smitten. Out here, despite his promise, there is no Wi-Fi. Him shrugging it off that it must be down again. And again, changes the subject. See how he does that pretty regularly to get her attention away from something else. He invites her to drink some of the cocktail to identify the flavor, and she does, nectarine. She says she finds his house intimidating as they're so different. He's all fancy cocktails while she's more a pancake 
pancakes out of the bag kind of girl. Steve says that's exactly why he likes her. There's no pretending with her. He starts going on about the place in Cottage Grove. Noah's starting to look spaced out. Her vision goes blurry and she's obviously been drugged. He asks her to join him on the couch and she barely makes it to her feet before falling unconscious. Well, looks like you got duped by love again. There really is no fairy tale anymore. The guy who seems too good to be true, yeah, probably is. Noah comes to later in a cell of sorts and chained to the floor, but can't even initially believe what is happening because it's so shocking. Steve shoots pretty straight with her. While his feelings for her are indeed real, he's brought her here to sell her flesh, which apparently people buy for a lot of money. He doesn't want to outright kill her as fresh meat is better. And in fact, he intends to keep her alive here as long as possible, harvesting off bits at a time. Well, that certainly sounds quite unpleasant. He does offer that he will take care of her and cook for her, and the reality of what's happening finally starts setting in. She tries to frantically attack him, but he grabs her in his arms, holding her until she calms down. As more time passes, Molly reaches out to her pal and quickly receives a response that they made it to Cottage Grove, along with a shot of a waterfall. But it's just Steve using her phone to keep her off his trail. After futilely shouting for help, she meets a nearby cellmate, Penny, who is in the same boat as her, being slowly eaten alive. She has no idea how long she's been here, having lost track of time. Noah's hopeful at least that there must be people looking for her, but just like Noah, Penny does not have much family either, showing us again how Steve cunningly finds people of a specific type for his needs. There's one other girl, Melissa, who has been here the longest and has pretty much lost her marbles. Noah vowing they have to get out of here. Molly does a Google investigation into Steve, but it does not turn up much. She asks Noah for more pictures and she quickly responds saying she's having a great time, but needs a technology break. Now even more curious, she does a reverse image search on the waterfall pic and it points her to a stock photo from another website. She messages her again to call saying it's an emergency, but Noah is suspiciously radio silent. We then get a lot more insight as to what Steve's job entails exactly, which he seems to really enjoy, hacking body parts up and dancing around with demented glee. He portions out chunks of meat into vacuum sealed packages and tosses it along with personal effects into several boxes, all labeled with the girl's names along with pictures. A man arrives in a van to pick up the boxes, noticing a very particular demonic symbol emblazoned on the side. It hints at a much bigger group in action beyond Steve himself. He checks in on Noah, understanding that she's angry, and does an attempt with his trademark charm and humor to no effect. He's pained, as all he wants is for her to smile, and she forces one onto her face. He then relents to let her take a shower, asking her to loosen up a little bit, as he's still the same guy from the bar. Yeah, not exactly. He guides her down the hall and noticing a smear of blood, she attempts to flee. He quickly gets a handle on her, cooing that she is a bad girl. After this, according to him, she's broken his trust and there must be consequences, informing her casually he's taken her ass. She slurs for him to stop, but he tells her it's okay, reminding her he is a doctor after all. He's gonna cauterize it and stuff and plop down a big old slab of ass meat. Mm -mm. Molly continues her investigation to the bar that they met at and since she used to date the bartender, tries using her wiles to get some info. Paul is reluctant to help as he could lose his job giving out personal information, so she goes into full attack mode, utilizing a pouty face to convince him otherwise, leaving him sighing in consideration. Penny asks how Noah is, and she was given pain meds at least. She then learns after moaning about sleeping with Steve that Penny and none of the other girls that she knew were ever actually with him, meaning Noah is different from the others, at least in this way, as though he did have true feelings for her. Turns out the pouty lip worked after all, Paul giving her Steve's last name. She stumbles across a Facebook profile, including photos of him with some 
kids and a wife. He's got a whole ass family. Finding a post about them moving into a new house, she tracks down the address and she stakes outside a few houses down and waits until a woman and two kids return. She texts Paul about the family revelation, him wanting to know what she's gonna do. Steve again tries to appeal to Noah. She'll eventually accept that things don't turn out how you want. We all die at some point. It's really just how we cycle out. She wants to know why it is that he slept with her. And as he said, he actually did like her, but now does feel that it was a mistake, leaving her to mindlessly flip through a stack of girly magazines. On one page, she finds a note of encouragement from a previous victim, telling her to not give up. If he gave her the magazines, then he must like you. Penny, on the other hand, is starting to lose it, crying that she doesn't know who she is anymore and is just done. She sees that she wants to choke Steve to death and for all of his weird friends to destroy his body, both chuckling at the grisly thought. She calls Penny a sweetheart and pleads with her to stay strong. We see that Melissa's box has made it to its destination. There's some older looking guy in a suit who promptly sniffs the bra. Hmm, classy. Molly shoots Paul a location pin of where she is in case something goes wrong and just straight up goes to ring the doorbell. She attempts to explain to the woman Anne that she's looking for a friend and that her husband might know her. She knows that it sounds strange, but stammers that Noah might have been seeing her husband, but Anne shuts her down, scoffing she has no idea what she's talking about. A newly emboldened Noah tries a new tactic with Steve, inquiring what human flesh tastes like. He tells her that it depends on where it's from and how it's prepared. If done right, it's exquisite, like nothing you've ever had before. She only gives him a curt hmm in response, leaving him baffled. He expected a bigger reaction, but her clear intention here is to manipulate and coerce him for a change. Anne does wonder why Molly doesn't just go to the police, but there's no real evidence to prove anything weird is going on here. And then her hubby comes home and trying to get her out quickly. It's definitely our boy asking if he's Steve, but he says his name is Brendan. Molly isn't buying it and calls Noah's phone, hearing it tellingly ringing in Steve's pocket, damning him in the process. And we might initially wonder how much Anne is involved in everything, but considering it's her that fells Molly here, she must be well aware of her hubby's cannibal side biz. Obviously, Molly was not a part of Steve's carefully vetted plan of victims, but he does remember what Noah said, hoping they might get along. He brings up wanting to try the meat again to her, and she shrugs that she was merely curious. He doesn't totally believe her, but decides to let her see for herself, offering that they'll have dinner together to see how curious she really is. In the bathroom, Anne looks on the verge of tears, slowly inspecting every inch of her body. She pulls back on her face, but returns to normal when Steve enters. This makes it seem like she's especially worried about her potentially starting to age, in particular with Steve being a plastic surgeon. He excuses that he'll be late tomorrow night. There's lots of work to do, he says. And he does indeed go in for a closer look at her face, but appears to deem it acceptable, giving her a little kiss. The little we see of the relationship does make it seem quite estranged or simply off, and we understand a bit more why when Anne disrobes for a shower, seeing that she's missing a foot, meaning she must have been a previous victim of Steve's, and similar to Noah had taken a particular shine to her and kind of saved her in a way, or, you know, at least didn't kill her or whatever. They went on to, on the surface, live a normal life, but in the reality, not so much. His family home and bachelor murder pad seem strangely close to one another as Steve jogs his way all the way there. He gets to work butchering more meat and takes a few hunks back to a fully stocked freezer chock full of parts. As for dealing with a much larger piece, he's gonna need some more powerful cutlery, opting for a chainsaw to cut between the ribs. When pulling out in the area, we see another of the same devil symbol there carved into the stone, starting to indicate a more ritualistic kind of vibe to things and also implying that Steve is also involved with this group. During their dinner, he fills in a bit more about his history and what led him to where he is now. It was as a young lad of 19 that 
Steve had his first taste of human and found that he could not get it out of his mind. This caused him to suffer because he couldn't tell anyone that he knew about it. He felt that there must be others like him out there and discovered a whole community devoted to this. For him, that's when life started making more sense. He describes it as giving in in a way, giving yourself over to somebody else, becoming one with another person forever. And for him, that is real love. As for the organization behind things, he says they are the richest of the rich, the 1% of the 1%, and they simply want things no one else can get, and that's where all this stemmed from. He got into it, and over time made a name for himself, and clearly business is good based on the size of this compound. They also only eat women, as that's where the market is, and apparently they taste better too. He slides across a man ball on a plate for her to try, and Noah has to ask if it's her. He promises her it's not, and she tentatively goes in for a bite, slowly taking it to her mouth in anticipation. After chomping down, she opens her eyes, seeing flashes of meat, along with people eating it in various forms. This all almost making it seem by her taking a bite that she's tapped into an almost hive mind with others like her. They cut away on the plate, revealing the devil symbol in gold etched into it. He tells her that this meal alone is worth a shocking 30 grand, and the meat is worth even more if she's still alive. In between bites, he spits that her name is Hope, which they both find kind of funny. Hmm, these two might be a good match after all, because she's kind of weird too, you know? Steve feels the same way about her, saying that he knew she was special because she's fucked up just like him. Walking down the hall, he stops himself at another door and drags out Molly, kicking and screaming. They make it clear that this still seems to be all an act for Noah, as she attempts to make herself vomit up the meat, obviously feeling guilty and weirded out for eating it. Penny recognizes the screams as being from someone new, and it sounds like she's starting to feel the effects of her time here. She says she had been thinking that maybe Noah wasn't real, just an imaginary friend, but then she realized she would have never come up with that name, saying it would have been something more like Sean Connery. As for any kind of help coming, Paul does become concerned that he hasn't heard from Molly, and when checking the location pin she sent, it's vanished. Good thing he took a screenshot earlier. Steve comes in bearing a gift for Noah, a dress, which he invites her to wear at another dinner tonight, and they both get dolled up for their weird cannibal-centric dinner date. Steve notices a missed call from his wife, along with a text, but sticks the phone in a box rather than answering really making it seem like he's intending to move on with Noah. It's worth noting also amongst the preparation here is Noah trying to attempt a more realistic smile, pretending as though she is truly enjoying herself. She surprised her at the actual dinner table this time, asking him if this is a real date. Maybe, he smirks. He does seem to have a weirdly tender side, bringing up what she said about growing up alone, which made him feel bad as no one might have ever cooked for her. She tries the pate made from Melissa, which she finds to be a boring name considering how decadent her flesh is. She inquires if Melissa also got a candlelight dinner, and he doesn't answer at first, opening a massive painting on the wall. Inside are several little cubbies with objects that belong to each girl. He explains that clients like this personal stuff as it makes you feel closer to the people you're eating. With that, they look at Melissa's mementos, and he confirms that there were no fancy dinners for her. She also notices amongst the displays, one for Penny, and wants to know where her stuff is. He exhales with me, I guess, probably in his little box, and she hones in on a stack of cell phones tantalizing her. They return to the table, and it feels like old times, both making cheesy jokes and having fun. But then she breaks down, divulging that she feels awful because she doesn't feel awful, as though she should feel bad for eating humans, but for some reason she simply does not. Again, Steve sees a connection here. He knew that she was different from the moment they met, just like him. He goes in for another passionate smooch, and only now notices that he forgot to lock her up. Whoopsies! 
we can sense here a sort of parallel to earlier at Noah's apartment, especially when she invites him to dance, but this time she's the one in control and playing him. And both dance in unison as before, kind of strange and cute at the same time. It's just weird. Things lead to the bedroom, and Noah excuses herself to the toilet. She comes back and starts undoing his pants, and then chomps right down on his wang. Gotcha good, buddy! And locks up the door with her restraints. She rushes down to the prison area, freeing Molly and Penny. They shoulder each other back down the halls, but find that Steve has beat them to it and locked the door. You then hear the dumbwaiter approaching, and the girls explode out of it attacking him. It's absolute mayhem as they all fight to fend him off, and it's thanks to a kick in the face for Molly that he gets put down. Noah retrieves a phone, and they all flee outside. Meanwhile, Paul arrives at the house, already feeling something is off. He then hears Steve shouting for Noah. He groans that she lied to him, threatening to kill them all, and blindly fires. The sound of a shot is enough for Paul to nope out of there, grumbling that he's seen this movie before. Anne then shows up with another dude in tow, seeing blood splattered around the house, along with evidence of their dinner. She tries to call Steve's phone, still finding in the box, now with tons of missed calls from her. Then, as he mentioned earlier, we see Noah's stuff is in there too, meaning this must be his special box where he keeps things from his favorite girl. Once more reiterating that he was hoping to move on from Anne, thanks, outside Noah waits behind a tree, and the other girls ambush Steve. Noah grabs his gun, training it right at his face, telling him to smile. He does through blood-soaked teeth, and she fires a deadly headshot. For the girls, there's still the problem of how to get out of here, and they frustratingly find the barn locked up. For some reason, Noah's adamant she has to go search for a phone that she lost somewhere in the woods, even though they don't have signal out here. Anne and the guy come across his body, and she does almost look kind of relieved that he's dead. She orders the guy to get him on ice. Hey, no need for him to go to waste, right? Noah scours the forest floors and does find her phone, running right into Anne. She tries at first to pretend that she was a fellow victim, and thanks her for setting her free, but then turns on her, pushing her to the ground and choking her with an icy demeanor. She growls that she wants to watch her life slip away, and Noah stabs her with the keys. Molly saves the day, showing up with a shovel and bashes her head until she's just a bloody pulp. Dang, girl, pretty deadly with that shovel. Noah doesn't even know who Anne is, which Molly explains to her horror. She had no idea he's married. Was married, Molly corrects, and they both start to chuckle at the insanity unfolding here. They say they love each other and go in for a big hug. We then pan down to the ground where Noah's phone is lying, and a message comes in from Chad, the guy from the restaurant, asking if she's up. Oh, Chad, you never give up, do you? <laughs> oh, looks like it's back to diggity for you. And that's weirdly the end. This feels like an odd spot to end the story. I get that the whole thing cycles back to dating and where things started. She's right back to being alone again. But I'm also like, wait, what about the other guy that was there with Anne? He just kind of disappeared. Won't he be a problem soon, like in the next two minutes? And what about Paul? I actually find it amusing after all the buildup of him showing up and everything, he just leaves without accomplishing literally anything. Still, it would have made more sense for the girls to flag him down or something to get a ride. Again, just a strange point to end the story. For me, I'm also left wondering what's next for Noah. There were several points along the way that she did genuinely seem that she liked the taste of human meat, and it would be interesting at the very end to see her now struggling with that same feeling Steve did when he first tasted it. Kind of like his influence is still lingering with her even after his death. But perhaps the biggest dangling thread is that big mysterious organization behind the whole cannibalism thing. You see them again in the credits. There's a group back in the strange dotted floor room, and we see two guys 
in what looks like restraints, seated with several others in suits. On the table is a massive mound of flesh, from which blood starts to flow out. So while Steve is gone, they haven't actually stopped anything really, as I would imagine there are many other killers out there providing the meat for them. To dive a little bit deeper into these guys, we know according to Steve, they are the richest of the rich, and their desire for human flesh is spurned on by wanting something no one else can have. Money can buy anything, apparently. The operation seems to be quite substantial, with regular deliveries and tons of cash changing hands, also all done in complete secrecy. They must be pretty powerful to pull this thing off, is my point. But then it also has those ties into some kind of evil or satanic religious cult, and thus the eating of the meat takes on a more meaningful, ritualistic purpose. We even see a sick guy eating a man meatball at one point. Is it possible that this could actually cure him? Nah, who knows? It does seem there is a kind of power or again hive mind sort of thing accessed when the flesh is consumed. This all leads me to believe that the group has been together for quite some time in various forms. This kind of evil commune of the rich and powerful kind of pulling the strings silently in the shadows for who knows how long. Again, all this is even barely hinted at in the movie, but it is fun to speculate. Perhaps a cool sequel idea could be Noah struggling with her newfound taste for human and then infiltrates the organization to put an end for them once and for all. I guess they're like Satanists too, so yeah, probably need to get rid of them. That brings us to the conclusion of this inning explained for fresh. Don't forget before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you guys think of Fresh and its ending? What do you think is next for Noah and the evil cult? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.